Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Pegasus podcast presented by Night Sports Now. I am Bailey Adams. I'm joined by Christian Simmons, as always. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and you can find Night Sports Now on Twitter at Night Sports Now. This is episode two of our podcast, and just like last week, a bunch of stuff went down right before, uh, day before, I guess it was. Uh, we were going to record, so we have a ton to talk about, but before we get into everything, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to those who did listen to our first episode last week. Uh, a lot of that stuff is kind of null and void now because of what's happened this week, which we'll get into, but really appreciate everyone who listened last week and reached out with, with feedback and took the time to retweet, like it on Twitter, and uh, yeah, and if you're joining us again, thank you very much for joining us, and we've got a ton to get to, so Christian, first of all, how you doing, man? I'm doing really good. I just think it's funny that the Pegasus podcast has been running so long now that UCF had a different athletic director and head coach when we started this endeavor. That's really a, that's something. I think like Christian and I have been talking this week and I think what we've decided is that our podcast is cursed. And I don't know if like, I don't know what we did to deserve this. Um, maybe I tweeted about Greg McRae too many times um, and it unlocked some sort of weird separate universe that this happens but anyways yeah as christian just alluded to there uh we're gonna jump right into our, our first big topic of the podcast and it is that josh heupel has left ucf he joins danny white at tennessee and so now the ucf is left without an athletics director and a head coach and signing day is next week so christian immediate thoughts on uh josh heupel taking uh the job at tennessee and, and leaving ucf in a very weird position yeah, well, one thing is I don't think I realized a few years ago when the early signing period became a thing how absolutely critical that would be to UCF uh, down the road because if this happens pre-early signing period era, th this is a nightmare. Like, you would have had D commits left and right. UCF would have had to basically have an AD in place this week, a head coach in place next week, and just scramble to try to put a class together. But all the classes already signed except for – I'm assuming they're not going to be getting the four-star Hawaiian uh, athlete given that everyone recruiting him is now at Tennessee. But uh, – <laughs> You know, you do what you can do. Yeah, this is an interesting situation because, and I think it's just funny, like Bailey, if I told you when Frost left, obviously there was a lot of concern about what was next for the program. People were really afraid what was going to happen. And then they hired Hypo at the time. We felt he was a good hire. What if I time traveled back to 2017 and I grabbed you in the press conference of Hypo being introduced and I said, Bailey, Josh Hypo is going to be at UCF for three years. He's going to leave the program as the winningest coach in program history. He's going to win an AAC title. He's going to take UCF back to New Year's Six. He's going to finish ranked multiple times. And everyone is going to freaking cheer when he leaves. I would have been like, how do you have all this information? And why did you grab me like that? Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, it's, it's really weird. If you look at his legacy, it's, it's just, it's, <laughs> it depends on who you ask, I guess, about who, what his legacy at UCF is. Because like you said, his winning percentage, phenomenal. And he wins an AAC title takes UCF to a New Year's Six game in his first year. But a lot of people are really just going to look at his tenure at as, you know, he, he inherited Frost's team and a lot of Frost recruits. And the first year with McKenzie Milton healthy, he, you know, he did a good job. He, he got them to undefeated. And then, of course, McKenzie goes down. But he did well to, to prepare Daryl Mack for the AAC championship game, won the title, and got that New Year's Six game against LSU. But – I just over the last two years, you've felt that the perception of him has changed dr dramatically. Like, I think even even if you look at the last year, you look at 2019, this UCF went 10 and three, 
And yes, they lost to Tulsa. They lost to Pitt. They lost those two games that you kind of felt that they shouldn't have lost necessarily. But you kind of look at the whole season. You okay? They went ten and three. They won their bowl game. They had a freshman quarterback who had a really good year. I mean, you're not going to say like, oh, it's just a freshman, like just your average quarterback. Dylan Gabriel had a really good freshman year. But still, I mean, there's going to be some growing pains. And in those bigger games, you saw those growing pains. So I think people kind of were maybe a little bit unhappy with Hypel after last year. I don't I could be remembering this completely wrong. But it seemed like this past year, things just went way south way too quickly. And they lost to Tulsa for the second straight time. And then, you know, the back-to-back, they lose to Memphis. And I think by that point, everyone was like, all right, can we get him out of here? And it was, it was a quick, it was a quick snap. Like one, one moment it felt like, you know, he was okay, but you know, not our favorite. We'll kind of see. And then it was just, all right, get him out. He's gone. And I mean, there's a lot of factors I think that played into that. I think it was, sometimes it was play calling. I think teams, a lot of people felt the team wasn't very disciplined under him. And we saw that with some of the penalty issues, but you know, that's, that's always a, a tough, a tough situation or a tough, uh, conversation to have because you don't really know what goes on inside the locker room if you're not in the locker room um but yeah I think there's a lot of factors went into it you know it didn't it was kind of a, a weird dynamic with him and Randy Shannon it's just a lot went into it and a lot of people turned on Hypel very quickly and yeah and, and the fact that you kind of look at his resume and you're like well that looks like a pretty impressive resume but everyone's thrilled that he's gone it's it's just such a strange situation that UCF finds themselves in and and Tennessee's picked up on that because Tennessee's fans are not happy with this hire. I, I, they're, they're not. And, and I get that because Danny White not only hired a search firm to grab a guy who he shared an office with, which is interesting. Like last week? <laughs> like, like literally six days ago? <laughs> yeah. But, and I think one thing that's clear is obviously Danny White had his whole spiel of like, oh, this was like, he said in the same sentence, like, I, would, I didn't want to rate a coach from UCF and he was my first choice. And it's like, buddy, that, uh, something yeah. doesn't add up there. And of course, it's leaked out since then that he was far from Danny White's first choice. And I don't think Danny necessarily realized when he took that job all those days ago that uh, it, it's a really toxic environment. And I think a lot of head coaches saw that and we're not going to get involved in that. UCF is unquestionably the more attractive job. I and mean, we're going we're gonna to get to this later in the show, but obviously candidates are lining up for UCF and that's been a big thing. But yeah, as far as one thing I do just want to really touch on, since apparently my reputation is as the Hypel defender, <laughs> um, is I just want to give my final take and my take on the legacy of Josh Heupel. And look, my take has been remarkably the same for basically since the pandemic started, is that I think that Josh Heupel is an average coach. I think that UCF, well, I don't think, I know that UCF did not have the money to get rid of him no matter what was going to happen in 2020. The money's just not there. Probably wasn't going to be there in 2021. And I think that even if you did pull the trigger on that, there are worse things than having an average coach, like having a bad coach. Like Heupel may be an average coach and you're going to lose some frustrating close games. Like Charlie Strong is a bad coach where you, you inherit go. a 10-win yep. program and tear it down. So I, my thinking was this isn't as good as it was with Frost. It could be worse and the financials don't allow for it to happen. So my you take bet. now is, you know, the financial situation took care of itself. UCF got money for Heupel to leave. They actually, they actually kind of got a lifeline here with $6 million combined dollars between Danny White and Heupel. And so that takes care of my first concern. My second concern was that you can end up with a bad coach that's still on the table, but it, UCF has so many candidates lined up apparently that I would assume that they'll be able to land a good coach. We all know who the players want. We'll get to that later too. <laughs> but I guess just my final take on the Josh Heupel legacy is I, I, I just, I don't know. I really don't know how he's going to age. I feel like how he does at Tennessee is going to really inform what fans end up thinking of him long-term because there's some really good moments he had at UCF here. And then there were a lot of questionable things and concerns. And I just think 
it's just a really, really weird and really, really unique situation because you just never have someone. I mean, I can't think of another situation of a coach who had as much success as he did and was as, and not just as disliked, but as justifiably disliked, if that makes sense. I mean, fans had legitimate gripes. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely complicated because like, like we said, his, his resume was, it was what it was. He got it. He had a championship, took him to new Year's six and went 28 and eight in three seasons. And, you know, I think you look at a lot of places and they'll take that, but people really just grew tired of seemingly underperforming and it was losing those close games. I think that's really what did it for, for the majority of fans was he couldn't win close games. He couldn't do it. And, you know, you'd see in a couple of losses this year, you'd see UCF go up by 14 or 17 points. And then the offense would, for some reason, just cease to perform. And, you know, the defense wasn't good enough to, to make up for that. And I think a lot of, a lot of people, and we kind of talked about this a long time ago, you and I did. Um, a lot of people's perception of Heupel turned, it felt like, after they just got tired of, like, the same old answers. Every time he had a press conference, it was just the most boring, mundane thing ever. And he never gave you anything. Yep. And I think as fans, people just kind of started to see him as, like, this robotic guy that's just going to keep saying the same things, give no updates on injuries, give the same cliches over and over. And, you know, one and oh, go one and oh. That was, like, a fun thing for – about a year, but then I think it just got tired because people were like, that's all this guy has. Like he's, he has no personality. And we, we kind of thought it was weird because Scott Frost wasn't like the most open person with like everybody. He wasn't just like the joking guy all the time. Like he, he was, Scott Frost was pretty serious himself, but Josh Heifel was just, he gave no emotion. It seemed like at any time. And it's, he's just turned, didn't turn out to be what I expected him to be because he came in and was like, here's this family man. And he was a great dude. And I don't, I'm not saying he's not a good dude, but it's just, he, didn't really like I don't think he allowed the, the fan base to really warm up to him he didn't really give the fan base much to to cling on to and to to really kind of connect with and I think you, you saw it was you brought it to my attention a while ago about uh when he left Oklahoma when he got fired by Oklahoma the fans said the same thing there right they were yep they were that saying was a big point yeah they that. said that the thing I read was that Josh Heupel uses coach speak like he's Bob Stoops except he's not Bob Stoops right and yeah. I think that I, I just to touch on that really quickly, because you said the difference between Frost and Heupel, because you're right, Frost was not an open guy. He wasn't sitting there and pouring his heart out. But the difference to me was that Frost was not fond of the media. That wasn't some big secret. A lot most coaches aren't. Yeah. But unlike Heupel, he understood that the media, especially in sports, the media is your conduit to the fans. That's how you speak to your fans. That's how I mean, that's literally that's where all your sound bites come from. So Frost didn't like giving away information about game plans or anything like that, but he knew that he had to give enough to try to build a relationship with the fans because that's where the fans are going to get 90% of their interaction with the coach. Josh Heupel, and I'm just going to be frank, he didn't care about building a relationship with the fans. He didn't care at all. He didn't even try at any point in his tenure. I mean, I really just, I mean, he was just one of those, I'm a football coach. I'm going to come to work and coach football and whatever. He did not care about getting out in the community. He did not care about the fans knowing anything about his own life or about giving the back to them, he wouldn't even speak highly of the program like Frost would. Frost, we all know you could ask Frost any question. It would end with him talking about how this place just doesn't have the history of an FSU, but all the potential. Like, you could ask him, like, what he had for lunch, and it would end with, oh, right. there aren't a lot of brick buildings <laughs> on campus, but this place. Josh Heibel wouldn't give you any of that. He just wouldn't. And at the end of the day, I just – that'll be a big part of his legacy, and I think that was a big part of his downfalls. He gave fans no reason to root for him. And I think that's the part of the problem too is all of that. You can take all of that and you can almost apply that. It might not be the perfect comparison, but you could kind of apply, apply that same sort of attitude 
to Nick Saban and he wins all the time. So no one's going to care. No one's going to say anything. It was like, Oh, Nick, Nick Saban's boring. Or he's like, he's always angry, whatever. They're not complaining about that. Cause they're winning national championships every year. But, you know, and with Hypel, I think it was, you know, we're winning games and he's, you know, he's fine and whatever, as long as we're winning. And then you start to see, you lose a couple close games and it's just like, all right, what's this guy's deal? Like what? And then, so it starts to turn pretty quickly. Cause it's just like, you start to lose and that's when you kind of start to evaluate the head coaching position. You're like, I don't really have any kind of connection to this guy. It's easy to call for his job because I don't really care about him. And I think, like you said, that's gonna be a big part of his legacy was that for, he was here for three years. And I'd say for probably, I mean, I guess at least half, half the time, a year and a half of the, his tenure, people wanted him gone. And it's, I think another part of his legacy too, and this is, this is kind of difficult to, to say, cause you don't actually know his relationships, but, when he left, when he left Missouri to take the job at UCF, a lot of the players there were unhappy with how he handled it. And, you know, I think it's, it's tough to handle the situation as perfectly as Scott Frost did, I guess, because what he did, he put a lot of work into doing what he did, but not even really asking Heupel to do that, but it just seemed like he didn't really handle it very delicately at Missouri. And you were seeing yesterday or on Wednesday when he left that we had players saying, I guess no goodbye. I guess that's it. And I, apparently he did talk to the team, but apparently and they didn't seem like it, they didn't feel like it was enough. They felt like he kind of just jumped ship and abandoned them. And some players were unhappy. They're just like, oh, I mean, go do you rooting for you, but all right, I guess. See ya. Yeah. And I think that, and that had been one worrying point for most of Heupel's tenure is there had always been sort of whispers, I guess you could say, of situations in the locker room. And we talked about this last week, even, when we thought he's going to be the coach next year, about how it felt like there was some animosity between so-called Frost guys and Hypo guys, where it felt like Hypo would favor his own guys or that he didn't really try to build a relationship with the guys that he didn't bring in. And it feels like we've seen some of that on Twitter. And like I said, we're not in the locker room. So regardless of what we heard, I don't want to state anything as like, this is a fact. Because at the end of the day, we don't know. It's a he said, she said. And I do want to throw out the caveat that a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, posts that some fans are pointing to of see hypo is bad or guys that have transferred out of the program. And obviously if you're transferring out of the program, you probably had some sort of gripe with it. So I just hope right. people can see it through that lens, but either way, I, as far as hypo to me, it is what it is. Complicated legacy, maybe not necessarily a good legacy, even though he accomplished a lot here. The timing is unfortunate with both Danny and hypo being gone, but I don't think that anyone is, there is not one who's like genuinely upset or mortified that they're going to go without a hypo. Right. And I, I mentioned that to you yesterday to, when we were talking in our group chat, you, you, Sarah and I, and I said, look, I'm not, I'm not unhappy at all that Hypo's gone. Like I'm not sad to see him go, but the situation that UCF is now in, it's a difficult one. And so, you know, if, if they already had an AD in place and, you know, they were already, AD was fine. AD was getting ready to hire a new coach, you know, next week, I, I would be celebrating along with everybody else, I think, because I really, I am not upset that Josh Hypo's gone. And I think it goes back to that, that feeling that I didn't really have a connection to Josh Heupel and not a lot of fans could really. And so, you know, seeing him gone, we're just like, all right, go, go do your thing at Tennessee. We'll see you on the other side. But no one, I mean, no one had any reason to really be like, oh man, he's gone. It's just like, okay, let's see who's next. I think everybody was immediately excited. Like, oh, okay. Who can, who can come in and replace him? And of course that's going to take some time because of the AD vacancy. And I got to fill that a lot quicker than, they originally were planning to I guess they said I think uh, President Cartwright said they wanted to do it in one to two months I think was the original plan yeah and then and now from what Heupel's, I've seen now is the plan is to have everybody in place by mid-February 
Yeah. And that's, that's a quick turnaround for, from you going to say, okay, a month or two, it's going to take for us to, to find an AD, but now your coach is gone. So you have to, you have to expedite that process because you're going to, you know, your program's going to be in shambles if you're not, especially with signing the next week. And like you said, the, the class already being in place is a huge factor that I guess they can take a little bit of time. And I guess that also speaks to the importance of making Randy Shannon, the interim head coach. Cause I know a lot of people are, upset that he's not also gone because you know there are legitimate gripes with Randy Shannon's defense I think too but for stability and in a moment like this Randy Shannon had to be made the interim and you know he's like him like his defense or not he's got a good relationship with the players it seems because you know he's he's a great recruiter and he's getting guys to come and those guys that have come and signed in, in December right now are probably like what the heck and for the fact that Randy Shannon's the guy that recruited them there and they still have him you know, that's, that's got to be a better feeling than the whole coaching staff's gone. And I just came to this place two a month ago. And now I don't even know if I have a place on this team. And listen, as far as fans who are upset with Randy Shannon, I, you, I don't necessarily think he's not going to be here next year. I think there's right. a really good chance that he's retained. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I know people got mad at him this year. I got mad at him this year. You got mad at him this year. No one liked Randy <laughs> Shannon after the USF game. Um, but it, it's kind of one of those things where when the rage clears and you come back to reality a little bit, they were down 10 of 11 starters from 2019 by the end of the year. I the defense was always going to be bad this year. When they dealt with the opt-outs they had and the guys getting kicked off the team, I just it was going to be bad this year. And that's not on Shannon. And truth yeah. be told, he just put together what's arguably one of the best defensive recruiting classes we've ever seen for UCF. And it would be a damn shame if all those guys are transferring out because Shannon doesn't stay. Now, the one caveat I'll throw in is there were always – I think rumors is even too weak of a word. It always very much seemed that Randy Shannon and Josh Heupel operated more as co-head coaches than Shannon as a defense coordinator. I don't believe Heupel had the authority to fire Shannon. It seemed like they both promoted to, uh, reported to Danny. I think going forward, it has to be clear that even if you retain Shannon, the new head coach is his boss. And if he so chooses, has the opportunity to move on. And I think at that point, you'll be fine. I think that you just need to keep him in there for the defense. I think the defense will be a lot better next year. The bright side of how bad it was this year is a bunch of underclassmen got a ton of playing time, and that's incredibly valuable, and I think that'll be paying dividends down the road. But one other thing that I want to talk about before we move on to what's next for UCF is we're talking about Heupel's legacy. How quickly and how much has Danny White affected his own legacy by taking a coach that he hired within, you know, a week of leaving? Yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird situation. Like you said earlier, he said, Oh, I had this like the search firm and um, I didn't want to take coach from UCF, but he was also my first choice. I, I just wonder, I really, I really wish I could, I could get inside of Danny White's mind and just kind of see how that went. Like when he took the job and knowing at Tennessee, he had to hire a football coach. That was going to be his first course of action. I want to know like if, if immediately he was like, Hmm, let me see if Hypels, let me see if Hypel wants to come. And I mean, I don't know why Heupel would have said no because they doubled his pay and he's now making, I think, personally, I think way more than he should be making. But it's, yeah, and it's weird how, I think if, if this is a standalone thing because, because fans weren't really fond of Josh Heupel and were wanting him out anyway, a lot of people looked at Danny White taking him with him to Tennessee as like a parting gift. People were like, oh, thanks. On the way out, Danny helped us out. There was a lot and, of that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a ton of that on Twitter. And so I think for a lot of people, this really isn't going to affect the way they view Danny White unless we start to see like a mass exodus of like transfers, which Heifel said he's not trying to take any players. We'll see about that. But if, if Danny like has to start, you know, hiring coaches for other sports, he gives Johnny Dawkins a call or if he gives, 
drag love lady a call or something and, and they, they go too, then people are going to kind of be like, all right, you can't just, you know, build all this stuff up at UCF. And then as soon as you jump ship, take everybody with you. That's not how that works. So I think for the most part, I think people look, a lot of people were already upset with Danny white last week when he left. And so people kind of had soured on him, but if anything, him taking Josh Heupel with him kind of gave people a little bit more, a little bit more reason to appreciate him and it it earned him a little bit of goodwill back. I think for a lot of people. Which I think, frankly, is ridiculous. I, I, yeah. <laughs> the people who were like, ah, Danny White's last gift. Guys, this man left this program and said, I'm leaving not because I'm going to a better job. I love you guys so much. If he says I love UCF one more time, I'm going to throw up. But he literally said, I'm done building there. We've built everything. It, so I guess the analogy I can make is imagine that you built a house and you're living, you've been living in the house for a few years. And you're like, this is a beautiful house. I built this. But my ambition is to build homes and I'm going to move down the street to an empty lot and I'm going to build a house there. And you start building your new house and you think, I really liked the roof I had on the old house. I'm just going to come rip it off and I'm going to throw it on the new house. But I love the old house that I've now ripped apart. I just, you know, I, I, I like it on the new house more. So frankly, I, my opinion is, I, I know that fans are happy with Danny White and that's great. I don't really care what fans think of Danny White at this point since it's not the AD anymore, but he, in my opinion, and I know that I'm in the minority here, wrecked his legacy here. I don't want him to have any connection to school. I don't want to see him talking about UCF anymore. You can't preach that you're moving on because you're done building. And then you're like, well, I'm going to take the parts I like the most. It's insane. Yeah. And, it's not, and it's not a thing that happens. That's the other thing I don't think fans are focusing on. That is not a thing that happens. That was incredibly unusual. And it was noted by a lot of national people as something kind of shady. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it like that, it, it definitely kind of changes your perspective on it. And it is. It is a weird thing that happened because if you look at, I don't know how many other times you've seen an AD take a job and bring one of his coaches with him. And I know like ADs will like to hire their own people, but I think that usually means maybe someone they've worked with like in like a past job, like not their like most recent job, like last week. I'm saying like somebody they had connections with at their like previous job when they were maybe the associate AD somewhere or something like that. But it is such a weird situation that he was, he was it's about like six days ago or seven days ago, whatever it was. Danny White was still the athletics director at UCF. Josh Heupel was the head coach. And immediately, a week later, <laughs> they're both gone. And, it, yeah, and I think, like you said, his, his whole I love UCF, I'm proud of what I built, and then he takes part of what he built with him. If you look at it like that, it's just – it does kind of contradict itself. And I don't know, man. It's, it's, just, a tough, it's just a tough situation because – People, I think, were really appreciative of what Danny White did here. But now people are kind of just looking at him like, dude, did you really care that much? Or like, what, like, what, what, are you, like, what was your best interest? Was your best interest always like what's best for UCF? Or was it how can I get a job? Because I don't know. I, I thought I did, and I maybe foolishly thought that Danny White was going to be here for a very long time and more than he was here. I think but, a lot of people thought that. Yeah, I don't, it that just wasn't felt, an unpopular opinion. It just felt like he was just – he really believed in sticking up for, like, quote-unquote, the little guy, even though UCF's as massive as it is. But for the group of five, like, he was, he was a champion of, like, the cause. And now here he is in the SEC, and he's taken his coach from, from UCF, taken, you know, basically taking from the little guy. And I think, if anything, put, push aside the fact that people didn't like Heupel, the situation that he has put UCF in now – I guess I can agree with you that, yeah, it does kind of hurt his legacy a little bit because whether or not it's, it's Heupel, even if we just put a blank face on Heupel, whatever coach it was, 
he put UCF in a very difficult position that they now have to get out of over the next month or so. And as optimistic as everybody is that they're going to get a really good AD and they're going to get a really good football coach, we don't know if that's the case. This could, this could set the program back a lot, but we don't know. And if it does happen, they're going to trace it back to Danny White and say, this is Danny White's fault. Danny White is the one that put UCF in the situation on his way out. For sure. And I think that's a good point where we can kind of segue in here a little bit of less from the guys who left and about the guys who could be coming in. Obviously, UCF's in a really advantageous spot right now, which is a weird thing to say because on paper, this is a really bad situation to be in. And I want to give you an example real quick before we talk about this, about what makes UCF unique. So I don't know how many UCF fans are aware of this, but Boise State was in essentially the exact same position that UCF is in right now about a month and a half ago. Their AD left. And then uh, their coach, Brian Harson left to go to Auburn. They were suddenly in the situation where they had neither. And much like UCF is now, they weren't planning to hire an AD till March. They had to really, really ramp that up. And they got an AD really quickly. And they got a football coach. And they're all settled now. The difference between Boise State and UCF is that's the exact same situation. And it is a way more terrifying situation for one program than the other. When you look at UCF, UCF has everything to be successful. UCF is in the middle of arguably the most fertile recruiting ground in the whole country. They have facilities that are miles ahead of the rest of the group of five. They have a fan base miles ahead of the rest of the group of five. They have a huge campus with a huge base of alumni and current students. I mean, they literally, it, it, and it's like we've talked about before, UCF is in every way except on paper a power five program. Right. Boise State's in the middle of Idaho. They do not have recruiting. They often have to go to California for their players. They have a long history of success and that's great, but they've had to fight a lot harder for it because it doesn't come easy. And that's why it puts them in a precarious situation where you really have to nail all that UCF. And I, I know that you still have to get these hires right, but UCF has a lot more room for error. And I think that's why it's become such, I mean, we're hearing so much about just how coaches are just lining up and even ADs both sitting and waiting and deputies trying to get these jobs, because especially from the football perspective, this is a place that you know, you can win. You just need to show up and you can win. And then you can leverage that into a power five job. And I'm just curious you know, especially what you think on this. I mean, it, it, is this a change from 2017 to now? Because I know I remember in 2017 it was a coveted job, but now it just feels like they have they could basically get whoever they want. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a different it's a different situation again because it felt like when Scott Frost left after two years and Danny White hired Josh Heupel, he was looking for a coach that was going to be here for the long haul, and it seemed at the time like Danny White was going to be here for the long haul. And that's why Heupel had the buyout study, like the buyout numbers that he had was because Danny White wanted to have a coach in place that was going to be not necessarily a UCF lifer, but somebody that was going to be here for a long time and really build for, for many years to come. And here we are three years later and they're both gone. And so it kind of feels like the next hire is, is less of, Oh, we have to find a guy that's going to be here for the long haul. And another probably accepting the reality that, Hey, you know, if, if his next coach is successful, he'll be gone in a few years too and be doing this all over again. So it does feel like a different situation because I think at the time that Frost left, it was, all right, let's get somebody who's going to be here for, you know, going to build and he's going to be here. He's going to be a UCF guy. But now it's kind of just like, you know, we'll get, we'll get a good coach and it might be a rising star that leverages this success here at UCF into a power five job. And, it, you know, it's, it sucks, but I think for a lot of uh, group of five schools, you know, that's just the reality. And then, and then it could be worse. Like if you could be a much smaller group of five school, you like if, if UCF at the top of group of five is dealing with this, 
you know, imagine the lower, lower tier group of five schools that like have to deal with this, that in any ounce of success that they have, their coach is gone. But UCF's success is on a higher level. They get, you know, their coach leaves, but they still have proved that they can have that, you know, that level of success that makes this job so attractive and really has everything going for it. So I think it is kind of a thing where you might have to accept that maybe this is going to be a stepping stone job until if someday maybe UCF can get into the power five, then it might change. That might change, but it probably is for, for many coaches. And, and I, I would be, I would love to meet anyone who would, you know, say on oh, from day one, yeah, I'm coming to UCF and I'm staying there. I'm not trying to get another job elsewhere. Cause that's just the reality of the situation is that, you know, they're going to come to UCF. They're going to, you know, do their best to have success as quickly as possible. And they're going to get out. And I'm, I'm personally, I'm all for embracing that. I really am. You look at the typical path that a coach goes through, and obviously there's a tons of different paths, but I feel like the kind of standard one is, okay, your position's coach, you get hired as, if you're going to be a head coach, for example, you get hired as a coordinator at the Power 5 level, you leave to go become a head coach at the Group 5 level, you leverage that into a Power 5 head coaching job. I feel like that's kind of the path that a lot of coaches have taken that have gone on to big jobs. I feel like the point where a lot of them get held up is that you take over the group of five head coach job because 90% of the group of five schools that are in need of a coach, it's because they're bad and you get there and the facilities are a mess. They don't have money. They're not in a good area for recruiting or they're in an area for recruiting, but they're stomped out by bigger programs. And it's a really precarious situation and you really have to work to turn it around and get your next job. UCF, it's, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it because there's a lot that goes into it, but for a good coach, it's pretty much you step in and you start winning. They have the roster, they have the facilities, they have the money, they have everything. So I'm fine with, don't go looking for someone where it's like, ah, I really want someone to come here for five years. If coaches are leaving because they're succeeding here, fine. That means UCF's winning. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters is that UCF's winning. The reason this job is so popular right now is because coaches are looking and what happened to the last two guys? They're both the head coaches at Blue Bloods now. I mean, I mean, that's, that's it. And it's, and it's not like even Heupel, who we just talked about as an average coach, went to a New Year's Six Bowl and won a conference championship and finished ranked twice. Quote, unquote, Blue Bloods. I don't, I don't think Nebraska or Tennessee. No, we're, we're not going to get into this, but they are Blue Bloods by the definition of it. They may not, they may not be acting like it right now, but, right. but they are Blue Bloods. Not right now, not for the last decade or so. but Maybe you know. not in our lifetimes, but, <laughs> but they are Blue Bloods, no matter, no matter how you look at it. So yeah, I just, I think that UCF's in a really good spot and uh, I don't know, I haven't, I'm just not plugged in, but Bailey, have you, um, do you happen to have any idea who of the current uh, UCF players might be interested in for becoming the head well, coach? Christian, the players already hired a coach. They don't need an AD. <laughs> the players already hired him. They got, they went and got Jeff Levy from, from Ole Miss, their former, their former coach. And, you know, he's been in Ole Miss for a year as offensive coordinator. And all the players, they brought him back. He's already here. He's, he's in yeah. Orlando right now. He's probably like 10 minutes down the street from me. We're probably missing his introductory press conference as we do this podcast. <laughs> Dylan yeah, Gabriel and, introduced him. He was yeah. like – I think Dylan Gabriel might be the, the AD now too. I don't know. If the players, the players have taken this like – and just they've run, with, they've run with it. I thought yesterday, you know, seeing a couple players – it was actually a couple former players first. Wyatt Miller said it. said bring back Coach Lebby. And a lot of players jumped onto that. I know Dylan Gabriel did, Mackenzie Milton did. Um, you know, there was, there was it was kind of came out like, I don't know, maybe five or six people. I seemed like yesterday, and then today, talking Thursday, recording on Thursday night. I think 
maybe the whole team has tweeted about Coach Levy. It's today. been freaking insane. And, and they are, they started their own hashtag, hashtag we want Levy, just yeah. tweeted by literally and more than a dozen players. Now. If you go to Dylan Gabriel's Twitter timeline right now, he has retweeted all of them. And so we're kind of getting the UCS getting into you know, you're getting into some trouble here, not by you know anyone in the administration's doing, but the players very clearly want Jeff Levy to come back. And if they if they don't reach out to Coach Levy and they don't you know they don't bring him on board, that could be a very bad situation because the players very clearly have made up their mind and may not be willing to accept anybody else. And you know it depends on who it is, of course, and, and, and if there's a can't miss head coach out there that you know they that the administration sees as a better option than coach Lebby you're probably gonna have to take that guy and then if players transfer out they transfer out and you're gonna have to to rebuild the roster a little bit but yeah it's it's just kind of crazy how quickly everyone has said all right coach Lebby's the the next coach because you know we don't even know for sure if he wants to leave Ole Miss you know we we don't know UCF hasn't even started the head coaching hiring process I wouldn't think because they're still trying to find an AD that they they've made it very clear that that's the the thing they're doing first. They want an AD in place so that the AD their first course of action can be to hire a head coach for football. And so the players have jumped the gun here and have made it very clear who they want. And now I'm just kind of sitting back and waiting to see what happens there. Yeah, it's like I said, I've been having some fun with it on Twitter. It, it, it's just like you said, it's a little alarming because and I, and I, I, for the record, I'm going to talk about this after we get through this part, but Le- Levy would be a good hire, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you, you got to let that be the AD's call. And, I, and, I'm, and I obviously, this isn't like completely new. The players did this with Troy Walters back when Frost left, not to this degree on social media. But also, I think that might have just been because Danny White moved so quickly to hire a new coach. Yeah. They didn't have the time. But I do think it's a tricky situation because also with some of the stuff we've heard about Hypel now is true. You need to get a coach that players want to run through a wall for that they really love. And obviously it seems like Levy. I also, I would be absolutely floored if Levy wouldn't have interest in this job. I don't think he's a long-term guy, but he's a rising star. He's done a great job at Ole Miss. He's been their play caller and they've dropped some absurd numbers of points on some very, very good teams. I don't know. I mean, this makes perfect sense for him next. You come to your time at UCF for a couple of years, then you have a power five head coaching job. I mean, that, that seems like a no brainer to me, but at the end of the day, it makes no sense to limit yourself when UCF is basically going to have it, its pick of coaches to before we even have an AD be like, yeah, this is our guy. They've got to do their due diligence. They've got to interview multiple guys. They've got to see what's out there. Yeah, they, I mean, they absolutely do. But going on, kind of going on along those lines of, of Levy being a rising star, I feel like it might have been Kirk Herbstreet and it might have been during the Alabama game maybe. It was during one of Ole Miss's games this past year. I remember explicitly hearing someone say something like they were just giving Coach Levy all of the praise in the world and talking about him you know as a future head coach whatever and never in a million years did I think oh maybe he'll be the UCF co- head coach next year Funny because things like that go. yeah it's just life comes at you fast I guess and now here it is where I mean I would assume just based on everything we're seeing on Twitter that he would be the favorite for the job but like you said they have to do their due diligence they have to go out and interview and, and make it an actual process rather than just oh this is who the players want because you have to remember and I know we talked about Levy potentially coming in and then leaving after a few years but these players aren't here for that long you know some of these guys that are talking about you know they want Levy back they have maybe one year left or two years left and maybe you hire Levy in and you know the younger guys maybe younger guys haven't had experience with Levy they don't know him and they're just like I don't really care I mean it's weird because we've seen some guys who have just signed with UCF 
and they've they've said they want Lebby, and I guess they're just going off of the word of the older guys. Um, but yeah, it's I, I think that as much as much as you want the players to to like who who you're hiring and want to play for him, you can't let the players make the decision themselves because that's where you get into very dangerous territory of well the new ad comes in and feels like he has no power because the players have taken it from him before he even got the job so yeah it's <laughs> the players are putting the whoever the new ad is going to be in a very difficult situation and yeah i'm just i'm kind of curious to just see where it goes from here because while i think coach levy would be a great option and maybe maybe my favorite option as of right now there are still there are going to be some names out there that are really intriguing yeah, and now that we've pretty much talked about why UCF players have sort of forced whoever the new AD will be into a precarious situation, um, let's talk about why Levy's absolutely my first choice. Um, <laughs> he, so he was the play caller at Ole Miss this year, and I just want to throw out some stuff to you. We're going to ignore what the defense did because that doesn't matter. Um, Florida, 35 points on Florida, 48 points on Alabama. That's the Alabama team that is largely considered Nick Saban's best team ever, won the national championship, went undefeated, 45 points. That's crazy. And then they capped off their season by going to the Outback Bowl and beating number 11 Indiana, who, you know, was in the middle of a dream season. So obviously, and, and I was, I don't want to get too into the minutia of it because I don't want to overstate my uh, knowledge here, but his offense, uh, looking at Ole Miss, it doesn't look a ton like Heupel's. It's very fast, but it's more creative. They use quarterback mobility a lot more than UCF did, whether that's Dylan Gabriel or not, still sort of up in the air. But I just, when you look at what he's done in the SEC, clearly he's a great offensive mind. Clearly he had a great relationship with the players here. If they're so into him that guys that signs uh, with UCF in December are tweeting, go get Levy. And clearly there'd be interest. So for me, this does feel like a no-brainer. I still think you have to do your due diligence. But I'm kind of of the opinion now, um, I think just keep Carr as the AD promote him from interim to athletic director. Keep, I, I, nothing's broken. Everything's fine right now. Why not keep it rolling? Let's keep Carr, who's clearly very good. Let's go get Levy, and let's just keep things rolling as they are. I think if Levy's your head coach, I think UCF absolutely is contending for a conference championship next year. Yeah, and I think that's the very interesting thing, too, is it, it does feel like, and I, may, I could be completely wrong speaking out of turn here, but I think Heupel now leaving, I think strengthens Carr's chances of getting the, the full-time AD job just because – yeah, they, they're going to do their, their interviews and everything, and they're, they're going to go through the, the search process, but they do have to move very quickly, and they already know Carr. So, that's you know, a, that's I think a really good point. That kind of lends itself to, okay, yeah, I mean, we like what you've done here. Obviously, UCF's in a good position, largely because of what Danny White's done, but he's also uh, – Carr's obviously been a big part of it. And so they could say, hey, you know, you're going to be – you mean you're going to be an AD one day eventually. Why not now? Why not for us? Because you know the program you've been here for years now and we trust you. We, like, we know you and we trust you. So I think that really does give him a really kind of gives him a leg up, I think in the, for the AD search. And yeah, like you said, I think <laughs> that's, that's another big, that was one of the biggest issues people had with coach Heupel was that especially in the last year or so, it just seemed like his offense was just the most mundane thing ever. It was run up the middle, run up the middle, throw a short screen and then try to get the deep ball every once in a while. And obviously that became predictable. And there would see, we would see stretches of games where the offense would go completely stagnant and not move the ball. They would have those 25 second three and outs that would kill the defense because as much as the defense struggled and as much as the defense was all new players by the end of the year, 
the offense a lot of times wasn't helping the defense out. And I know we've had this conversation and fans have had this conversation since Frost was here, but it's the whole it is the as as fast as the offense is going, as much as that hurts the opposing defense, isn't that kind of hurting your defense as well because you're giving them no time on the sideline to kind of regroup and catch their breath and also kind of reevaluate what the opposing offense is doing. So I think what you kind of have to look at is if you're going to run an offense that quickly, it obviously has to work. It has to be effective. You can't have these 25 second three and outs that are killing your defense because, you know, if your defense gives up a touchdown early in the game and then your first, your first drive of the game, you go out, go three and out immediately. The, the defense right back on the field and then all of a sudden they give up a touchdown and it's 14, nothing and you're in a huge hole. So yeah. And to hear, to hear, I haven't really looked too much at Ole Miss, but to hear you say, Levy's offense looks more creative. And I know he, he worked on, I'm sure, with Lane Kiffin. But for that offense to look more creative, I think that's what fans are wanting. They want an offensive-minded head coach, but they also want a creative offensive mind, not just what, um, what Josh Heupel was doing here. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, like I said, I think we pretty much listed out why I think Levy would be a really good call. I think Carr would be a really good call. I think just if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I really do think it is that simple. I don't think we need to overcomplicate this. And like you said, we talked about it. UCF's defense was only going to be so good when you had these mind-numbingly frustrated three and outs that were basically the defense, the offense was on the field for 20 seconds. Yeah, and obviously we'll get we'll probably get more more into this next week because I don't know maybe by next week, knowing our podcast and the history of the last two weeks, there will probably be major news that drops next Wednesday, and when we get to record on Thursday, maybe UCF has a new. AD and a new head coach who knows we're but, missing a quarterback who knows we'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, no. uh, it's possible too but we're gonna go ahead and, and wrap it and head into the news section a little bit and um before we get into like the just kind of the random things that happened obviously there's also some other big news out of the UCF football program this week and it was that former head coach Gene McDowell who really is the reason UCF has a football program at this point um he passed away earlier this week at the age of 81, he had, a, he had battled leukemia for a very long time and unfortunately contracted COVID recently and, and passed away. But really, Christian, I mean, you can't, you can't look at UCF football and, you know, there's, there's no UCF football without Gene McDowell. And you can't look at this program. Or, and if you're going to, you know, go through the history of this program, you got to start. I feel like in a lot of ways, you got to start with him. Yeah, it's really, it's very unfortunate because of the way his uh, tenure here ended. For those who don't know, there was a cell phone scandal at UCF and the FBI ended up looking into it. It was with players using cell phones that they sort of fraudulently uh, had activated and Gene McDowell tipped off the players uh, that they were going to be raided. And that ended up pretty much uh, ending his tenure here because the FBI targeted him became a whole thing. So unfortunately because of that, he kind of got pushed to the side in UCF history, but there's, it's not an overstatement and I wish fans could really get it into their heads that, there is no UCF football without him. The program, after the Lou Saban era, the program was in deep debt. They weren't succeeding. I mean, it was literally there were talks of just, we need to shut this down. It's not happening. And he took a $1 a year salary when he came in and completely turned the program around. He led them from Division Two to FBS, which is insane. He got Dante Culpepper here. He revolutionized the team on the field and off the field. He found all kinds of ways to save money and all kinds of ways to make money. And I, he, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think he's the most important figure in UCF football history. And it's a shame that his death was, it seemed like, at least in my Twitter feed, a lot of fans finding out he existed for the first time. Yeah. And I mean, I know you're, we talked about it a little bit last week, like you, you go way further back with UCF than I do. Um, and Gene McDowell is a guy that I had heard of just because, you know, 
as a, as a sports fan, as a sports guy in general, I've done my research and I've kind of just looked at back in the UCS history. Um, and I mean, I, I didn't really realize this week. Yeah. I'm probably one of those people that didn't realize just how big of an impact he had on this football program. And there's a reason why people are calling him. Was it, was the, the, was it the father of UCF football? Or was it the godfather of UCF football grandfather? Um, yeah, father, I mean, father you, of UCF football. Yeah, you can, <laughs> one of those. You can't overstate how important he was uh, to this program, and you know, obviously, our condolences go out to his family and um, and friends and anyone who knew him because that's that's tough. I mean, for him to battle, have battled leukemia for so long, and and to lose his life to COVID, it just it's it sucks, man. Absolutely, really unfortunate. But I mean, a UCF fans should never forget him. Hopefully, we'll never forget him. Absolutely not. And we're going to wrap up here real quick with, with some news um, just throughout the sports. Um, a lot going on again this week. But for football, uh, Matthew Wright signed a reserve slash future contract with the Detroit Lions. Potentially could be taking over for uh, UCF alum Matt, Matt Prater, who was, who's a free agent now. And also, speaking of Danny White a little bit more, Danny White doubled down on, his, uh, on UCF's 2017 National Championship in his opening presser at Tennessee last week. Someone I don't know why this reporter thought they were going to get him to like kind of just, you know, take a dump on it or something. But Danny, I was like, no, they, they earned that. And I, I really believed in, in that, that cause. And, um, you know, so kind of nice to, to hear that from Danny White that he didn't go back on it immediately the way kind of Frost kind of did when he got to Nebraska. Um, Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson have both been making headlines at senior bowl practices this week. Um, senior bowls on Saturday and on Thursday, as we're recording, Richie Grant had a huge day today. His name was all over. And I feel like I feel like you know somebody's having a big day, or you know um, someone's getting some some hype. When you know I've I've also covered the Bucks, and I'm seeing you know a lot of accounts that I follow related to the Bucks or related to just the NFL in general. Non UCF related accounts are hyping up Richie Grant. So you know, interested to see where he goes. And kind of on that front, uh, we were a little surprised last week on some of the mock drafts um, that. ESPN's Mel Kuyper has Aaron Robinson going 26th overall to the Browns in the first round and NFL.com's Daniel Jeremiah has Robinson going 30th to the Bills also in the first round which I don't know Christian it seems like it would be a little bit strange for Aaron Robinson to go ahead of Richie Grant wouldn't it yeah uh maybe just a little bit since Richie Grant was like the heart and soul of the defense and Aaron Robinson was Aaron Robinson but uh you know <laughs> it's what it is it's good for UCF I hope they both get drafted high yeah, I mean, only only good things and, and good uh, hopes there for their draft prospects. Uh, speaking of the draft, uh, Trey Nixon received an invite to the NFL Combine, which will look a lot different this year. Um, not really sure what the plans are for that, but cool that Nixon got an invite there. And wrapping up for football, there is now a date set for UCF's trip to Louisville uh, this fall. It's Friday, September 17th. And I know we know that UCF opens with a home game against Boise State. We don't know the exact date of that one yet, so... I don't know if this is the first sign that football's coming, but it's still a long ways away. So, um, okay. And uh, men's basketball, they went, they won seven, they lost 78 65 to SMU on Saturday, and then they beat ECU on Wednesday, 71 64 to snap a five game losing streak. They've had some games rescheduled. Um, Tulsa, they'll play Tulsa at Tulsa on February 6th, and instead of playing them at home, and then their home game against Tulsa has been moved to March. And then to make up for a December game against Tulane, they'll play Tulane on uh, February 12th. Women's basketball continues to roll. They're, they won 50-38 to 38 at Houston on Saturday and 52-47 to 47 against ECU on Wednesday. They're now 9-2 and 7-1 and in the AAC. Uh, volleyball opened their season with a 3-1 win against FAU. 
Um, men's soccer, a lot of accolades uh, for preseason. Senior Yannick Yertle named the unanimous preseason goalkeeper of the year. If he wins that, it'll be his third straight. Uh, he was joined by Yannis Learman, senior midfielder uh, Luis Perez, senior midfielder Yanni uh, Sorokin, and sophomore Gino Vivi. They were all unanimously selected to the preseason all-conference team. Learman and Sorokin were actually also named to the Herman Trophy watch list, which is a, the highest honor for an individual in collegiate soccer. And UCF was picked to finish second in the AAC behind SMU. They earned one first-place vote. Women's soccer also had some preseason accolades. Ellie Moreno and Kristen Scott were named to the preseason all-conference team, and they were picked to finish second in the AAC. Um, man, a lot going on. Uh, men's, men's tennis, they – they haven't started their season yet, but they signed Cooper White, Australia's number two recruit, to their 2021-22 class. And women's tennis, they got off to a rough start this weekend, losing 4-3 to Wake Forest on Sunday and 4-0 to NC State on Monday. They dropped from 18th to 22nd in the ITA poll. Um, and finally wrapping up, softball was picked to win the AAC. They got six of their of seven first-place votes, and they are number 21 in the USA Today NFCA preseason coaches poll and number 25 in the USA softball ESPN preseason rankings. And finally, baseball, number 32 in the collegiate baseball preseason poll and number 24 in the Baseball America preseason poll. And just to wrap up our podcast, uh, episode two, we'll end with the what's on the schedule until episode three. Men's basketball has a busy week. They'll play at Wichita State on Saturday, at Memphis on Monday, and also again at Memphis on Wednesday. Women's basketball will play at Wichita State Saturday, uh, Tuesday at Memphis. Volleyball will play Saturday and Sunday this weekend against UNF. And women's golf starts their season with the UCF Challenge uh, sun on Sunday. And then men's tennis will continue. Men's tennis and women's tennis will, uh, will get their seasons continue going. And like we said, the football has the Senior Bowl on Saturday. We'll see Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson putting on those UCF helmets uh, one last time. So that'll be really cool to see. And Christian, I know we're running up against the time here. So, uh, man, appreciated this talk. It was, it was a good time, as always. And we'll be back next week for episode three. Surely a lot to talk about there, too. And before we get going, you can find us on Twitter, at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCASimmons, and at Night Sports Now. And thank you so much for listening to the Pegasus Podcast. Thank you, everybody.